This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM News Time 1203. It's great to have you with us for the Thursday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Technology Thursday, cybersecurity, and your kids, especially as more people are still at home and using the home internet more often. Cryptocurrencies moving into the mainstream. More people want in on the action. We'll learn one way you can do that in our next segment. Right now, shares of General Motors have hit record highs right now, $58 a share for General Motors. It's because the automaker is revealing plans for the future. They're big ones, too. John McElroy is joining us, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv, based in Detroit. Uh, John, give us a little insight here. What is GM announcing? Well, a couple of bombshells here, Cisco. Number one is we know that GM's been working on autonomous cars, but we always thought that was going to be for some sort of taxi service. But Mary Barra, in talk, and she's the CEO of GM, in talking to analysts this week of, uh, about their earnings, said they're going to have autonomous cars for individuals like you and I would be able to get before the decade is out. And that was something nobody expected to hear, not at this point in time at least, and the market's reacting very favorably to it. Yeah, I, I love this phrase. Personal air mobility. I mean, that sounds very cool and very scary at the same time. Well, well, actually, that's even another different thing that they're talking about. One of the the new areas that could open up in transportation, I'll call them passenger drones. They're they're helicopter-sized vehicles, but they operate like drones. You know, helicopters, very complicated to fly, very complicated to manufacture, lots of maintenance. Well, this does away with all that. And they might even be autonomous and probably electric. So there's a number of car companies, including General Motors, that have said, hey, this looks like it could be new business for us. As you mentioned, both the electric vans and the flying vehicles, I mean, these are things that would have been in movies not long ago, and and people would have assumed, oh, I don't know, maybe 100 years from now something like that might happen. And now they're all really, we're right on the cusp of all this. Technology is coming uh, ahead far faster than we would have expected even just a few years ago. You know, autonomous cars are right around the corner. Autonomous drones are hot on their heels. And like I said, this is getting us into a new area of transportation, something we probably haven't seen happen until the first commercial airplanes appeared. Will we, in the not-too-distant future, see, I don't know, maybe not completely, but maybe, sort of the end of the gasoline-powered engine in vehicles? It sounds like most of the automakers are saying they want to go all battery. Well, you know, look, they're being forced to. So many countries are saying we're going to ban the internal combustion engine by 2035. Some are saying a lot sooner than that. 
California has said the same thing. There's talk that maybe in the U.S. that they're going to be banned. I'll say this. I think the internal combustion engine is going to be around longer than most people expect. Having said that, it's in its sunset years. At some point, it is going to go away. And so you're right that their hands are being forced, and so this is something that's just going to happen. Now we need the infrastructure, right, to be able to charge all these vehicles. I'm thinking about city streets here in Chicago where people park overnight, and they're going to need to charge their batteries. No, that's exactly right, and that's why probably people who live in apartments are going to be some of the last people to adopt electric cars. I say adopt, you know, start buying them because of that charging issue. So if you have your own house and you can park in your own garage, no problem. You, you recharge overnight and you leave the driveway every morning with a full tank, so to speak. But for people who live in apartment houses or condominiums or the like, uh, yeah, we need a public infrastructure. It's getting built, but we're in the very, very early days. Thanks so much, John McElroy, automotive industry analyst, host of Autoline.tv, based in Detroit. Just ahead, an introductory class in crypto mining. Bitcoin mining is the process by which the new cryptocurrency is entered into circulation. Some investors see it as an entrepreneurial opportunity. Let's find out how it works. Bill Uliveri is here, owner of Senegal Capital in Glenview. Uh, Bill, uh, cryptocurrency mining, help us to understand this. Uh, very good. This, I think this will be an easy connection. So anybody, anyone who has read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki is going to understand a concept he brings out in the book. It's called the cash flow quadrant. Some people work for money, they have a job, and other people own a business where their money works for them. So in the world of investing, you have people who are looking for growth and technology. Other people are looking for slow and steady dividend income. Uh, in the world of real estate, you have investors who flip houses, and you have investors that will buy an apartment building or a piece of rental property looking for monthly income, right? They're looking for cash flow. The immediate gains are not the primary motivation when you buy a, an apartment building or a small strip mall or a vacation rental. You do that. You, you, you will, if you're looking for quick gains, you buy it, right? So um, Bitcoin mining, cryptocurrency mining is the same concept. There are two ways you can own a digital asset like Bitcoin or Ethereum. You can either buy it, which is like flipping a house, or you can mine it, which is um, where, where the primary, the price of the, the actual token isn't the main concern. So what happens is when you participate in the world of Bitcoin, when you participate in the world of Ethereum uh, in this ecosystem by providing security, computer security, you receive a reward. And that reward is to help you offset the cost of computer hardware and electricity and the cost of having an internet connection. So for me, my concept of Bitcoin mining is I can either own it or I can mine it. And one is a commercial enterprise and the other one is just a speculative enterprise. So mining it, I mean, when people hear mining, they think about going into the ground and getting coal or diamonds or something like that. Uh, I mean, you're obviously not digging Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies no. out of the ground. How are you no. getting it? Well, you get it. Well, you can go on eBay, you can go on the Internet, and you can buy a computer. Anybody can do it. It's about the size of a shoebox, and you, it has two ports. Um, one is to plug it into the, your 110-volt uh, outlet, and the other one connects to the Internet. And what happens is it just automatically syncs up with the Bitcoin network. But these things cost about $200 a month to, to, in electricity. So if I take the, the, cost of the, the monthly cost of electricity and the cost of the machine, 
and compare that to um, what I receive in Bitcoin rewards or Ethereum rewards, I have cash flow. I'm making a profit. I don't really care what price Bitcoin goes to. I'm just looking at the monthly reward. So anyone can do it. That's what makes the beauty of this peer-to-peer, this, this, uh, this free monetary system. This, I don't want to say free banking system, but it's a voluntary system of, of, of digital gold and digital assets. And it's done by buying computer hardware that anybody can do. You don't need to have a, a license to do it. You can just sign up. Uh, you, know, you can buy some, piece, uh, some hardware on eBay or on, on the internet, and you can participate almost instantaneously. And for that, providing that security by, by, by joining the network, you receive a small payment, just like you're chipping away at gold rocks or silver mining with the, like the old-fashioned prospectors that were moving tons of dirt to get little flakes of gold. It's the same analogy, Cisco. And as you mentioned, it's passive. I mean, you're not sitting there having to pay attention to it all day long. No, you just turn these machines on. There's a little bit of maintenance like any other kind of computer. Sometimes you have to hit control, alternate, delete. But you just once once the computers are configured, you just let it go, right? You just, the things just work. They sync, and it's a it's an amazingly beautiful thing to watch. And you can kind of watch it on the computer screen. If there's anything, there's a there's a bit of a rhythm, a heartbeat to the Bitcoin and Ethereum network. That's actually quite satisfying, like listening to a little waterfall <laughs> um, as your computer is taking a file, performing mathematical computations on it, and then sending it back for validation. And if you're fast enough, if you're quick enough, if you participate enough, every couple of hours, you get little teeny tiny flakes of a cryptocurrency. And when it becomes no longer uh, profitable, you move on and go to a different cryptocurrency. So it's a very user-friendly, uh, volunteer type of network that, that if it works, you can opt in. If you don't like it, you can opt out and no harm, no foul. You can just go someplace else. And, you, of course, you pay tax on that, on those earnings that you, you receive. Yeah, for sure. Really, really fascinating. Thank you so much, Bill Uliveri, owner of Seneca Capital Management Online, SenecaCapital.com backslash digital gold. Up next, how to make sure you're correctly reviewing your credit report. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There are some key boxes to check when you go over your credit report. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, Ted Rossman, industry analyst at CreditCards.com, based in New York. Uh, Ted, I, I think that credit report, it can be overwhelming when you get it because there's so much on it. Uh, give me the most important thing we have to look at when we get that credit report. The first thing that I would do is to scan through it and make sure that everything looks accurate. So like, for example, if you find an account that doesn't belong to you, that's a red flag. Or if you find a late payment that you really believe you made on time, that's another one. You can go to annualcreditreport.com and get a free report from each of the three bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. And the great thing is that it's actually not just annual anymore. They're allowing you to pull these reports weekly through mid-April of next year. This is a pandemic kind of special that I actually think is giving people a lot of really good access. And when it comes to pulling these ordinarily, uh, would you suggest uh, pulling all three or just focusing on one? Especially now that you can pull them all every week. I don't think you necessarily need to do it every week, but I would maybe check all three of them every few months. You know, in the old days, we would say, because you only got them once a year, maybe you would pick one now and then another one in four months and another one in four months. And that's kind of how you stagger the three over the 12 months. But right now, because you can pull them so frequently, I would say like once a quarter 
or so, pull all three and just make sure that everything looks accurate. And if you find that something is not accurate, what do you do? Dispute it with the Bureau. So that's another case where it's really important, especially when you see an error, you're going to want to double check that because the reports are different from Bureau to Bureau. So if you find an error on one, see if it also appears on the other one. Initiate a dispute. You have to dispute with each individual bureau. So every time that mistake pops up, file a dispute with them. The easiest way to do it is online. You can actually get a very quick response. They're required to respond within 30 days, but I've heard of much faster responses, like sometimes in as little as a day or two. So it definitely pays off. Your score could really be dragged down by something erroneous. Uh, So you really want to stay on top of that. Get online today and get a copy of that credit report. Uh, Quickly, Ted, what's the website again? Annualcreditreport.com. Okay, that's the one that you can get it for free. Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com. Still ahead, Technology Thursday, making sure kids are safe from cybercrime. This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cotto. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The weekly look at unemployment claims is out. The government jobs report for April is due tomorrow. Companies are now making decisions about whether or not to bring workers back to the office. It's Technology Thursday. Ways to keep children's online accounts and their personal information secure. Cash is flooding into U.S. stock funds. We'll talk about the implications for the market. On the markets, the Dow up 153. The Nasdaq is down 22 and the S&P is up 11. We have oil today down right about 1%. A mix of clouds and even a little sunshine. Also still some scattered rain showers in Chicagoland. 46 degrees heading to a high of 55. The number of Americans seeking unemployment benefits fell last week to under a half million, the lowest point since the pandemic began. Mark Hamrick is senior economic analyst at Bankrate. Now, aside from the national count, we saw sizable declines in a number of key states, many of which have been problematic, and those include California, New York, Florida, and Virginia. The Labor Department's comprehensive jobs report for April will be released tomorrow morning. Many high-profile companies are now beginning to make decisions on where their employees will do their jobs. It has become the way millions of Americans do their work during the pandemic from their own home. But as COVID restrictions are being lifted, throughout the nation, what will these employees do? Google is telling a large chunk of its workforce, stay put. The company says 20% of its employees will permanently work from home. Other companies are adopting different policies. The large financial firm Goldman Sachs says it wants its employees back in the office. U.S. workers by June 14th British employees by June 21st. Steve Futterman, CBS News. A reminder, Odyssey is your new home for all the audio that matters to you. Download the Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, to listen to WBBM anytime. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Markets are mixed. The Dow up 148, the NASDAQ is down 23, and the S&P is up 10 points. Let's see what's going on. Jim Awad is here, Senior Managing Director at Clearstead Advisors, LLC in New York. Jim, what do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? 
Well, it's the uh, the, the uh, unemployment report was positive, and I think that's basically what's uh, what's driving the market. Uh, what doesn't make sense is the continued selling in some of the uh, growth sector because Fed officials have said consistently they're going to keep the um, uh, rates low for a sustained period of time. Uh, the uh, uh, commodity prices uh, looking out a year are lower than they, they are looking out six months, which speaks to uh, inflation being transitory. The Treasury market is rallying and yields are going down. So that, that, all of that should be positive for growth stocks and growing companies. And instead, the market is selling growth stocks and buying value stocks. So I'm encouraged by the fact that the market's going up. I'm, I'm a little bit perplexed as to the complexion of what's working. Yeah. And I mean, does that reflect, um, I mean, what do you think? You know, people not looking at some of the market fundamentals, maybe reacting differently in how they're trading? I think it's a hedge against the Fed being wrong and being behind the curve, that there is, there is a, a universe of investors who think that uh, uh, the, the, the Fed, by going to an outcome-based uh, strategy rather than a predictive strategy, is going to find itself at some point behind the curve and have to raise rates. And since the growth stocks are up a lot, uh, that's where you would take profits. And the other factor is uh, rising taxes. If we are going to have an increase in the capital gains tax next year, the biggest profits are in the are in the growth sector. So I think that's subduing them also. But um, most most uh, uh, people are agree that Biden's not going to get all of the capital gains tax increase that he that he wants. So I'm really uh, looking at the the apples and the Microsofts of the world and thinking uh, they're pretty attractive here. They've basically done nothing all year while the S and P is up eleven uh, percent. And uh, you know that they're going to be here and continue to grow for years and years to come. So I think that's the sweet spot in the market right now. You touched on inflation earlier. I'm wondering, you know, you had this flood of cash from the stimulus moving into the markets and into the wider society. Uh, a lot of areas are, are saying that they're challenged. Lumber, copper, uh, houses, cars. Uh, I'm just wondering if there's a, a, you know, maybe a chance that inflation becomes a bigger deal than we're expecting. Well, there is a chance. What we do know is that inflation over the next several months is going to is going to run uh, hot, uh, and that's because you shut down a lot of capacity during the pandemic. Pandemic, you've turned back on, and there are supply constraints of everything. But the marketplace ultimately works. Higher prices will bring on higher supply, and uh, that's that's what the Fed is counting on. That's what the futures markets are saying. There is a risk that uh, the inflation psychology becomes embedded, but you have to see it in wages before you can have confidence that that's going to happen. And uh, so far, we don't see it. Of course, we're going to get a report tomorrow. Uh, but that's the big thing to watch. If, if, if you start to see sustained increase in wage demand, that means that the Fed is, will, will have proven to be behind the curve. Saw a, uh, a story today. The CDC is kind of working with a cruise line to try to get maybe some volunteers to go on a cruise to see what it's like. Uh, that's got to be a good sign for people who've been wondering about some of those reopening stocks. Well, the, the signs everywhere are that, that there's tremendous pent-up demand. People have spent over a year at home. Uh, Vegas is full. Disneyland is booked a month out. Uh, airlines are, are uh, increasing fares. Hotel occupancy is increasing. Ride-sharing is, uh, is increasing. So all the signs are there that we are going to have a big year in the economy this year. Now, next year might be somewhat slower because uh, some of the pent-up demand will be satisfied. Uh, you might have slightly higher interest rates and somewhat higher taxes. Uh, but this year should be very good in the economy and uh, good for corporate profits and, and stock prices should follow.
Thanks so much, Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director at Clearstead Advisors, LLC. Just ahead, Technology Thursday, need to know information about keeping kids cyber safe. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday. This afternoon, we're focused on cybersecurity for the younger set. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, Adam Levin, founder of Cyber Scout, author of the book Swiped. Uh, Adam, I'm guessing this is especially important as you have more parents working from home, kids learning from home. They're just spending more time online at home. No, that's very true. And kids can be weapons of mass destruction in a household, uh, not only for themselves, but for other members of the family. So it's, it's very important that you spend time with your kids starting early, teaching them about the dangers that lurk in cyberspace. I mean, look, kids know that Instagram and TikTok are part of their world, but they're not necessarily taught about unsafe apps, data privacy, or opening an email attachment from a stranger can not only ruin your computer, but it can actually open up your family to identity theft, ransomware, and things like that. Now, an interesting situation is in Australia. Australia is the first country that's really talking about introducing education for kids starting at age five in their school system. Now, this is stuff we should be teaching our kids anyway, but it would be good to reinforce it. Things like don't share your date of birth or full name with a stranger, that before they enter any personal information online, they consult with parents or guardians. Uh, Then they should understand how to use username and password and the dangers of clicking on links, which could create all sorts of problems. And then give them serious lessons on data usage and privacy, like how to identify personal data that could be stored, how to reveal your location or identity. These are things that can can put the child in harm's way as well as the families in harm's way. I'm thinking for kids, you know, they do this uh, very innocently. You know, they're, they're playing a game. There's an ad. They click on the ad. Uh, and all they do is see something colorful that's kind of blinking around on the screen, not realizing that they can infect the family's network. Oh, absolutely. That's why also your kids should be on a separate network that is not connected to anything in your household that involves sensitive transactions or work. Uh, they really need their separate thing. And there are apps available for involving children where you can limit their screen time, uh, stop them from downloading certain apps. Uh, you, you need to make sure that uh, you have security software on your systems. Uh, you need to change passwords to Internet of Things devices. A lot of kids have Internet of Things devices, even like once there was the talking Barbie that kids didn't realize that when they were talking back to the Barbie, it was recording it, sending it back uh, to the company, and it could be intercepted. So education is critical Apps that monitor where they go online, limit screen time, blocking apps, monitor their texting, and also freeze your kids' credit. Uh, most states now permit you to freeze your child's credit. Uh, you need to contact the credit reporting agencies directly. They, will, they have a protocol for how you do it. Um, but that's very important, too, because if a child clicks on the wrong link, starts giving up too much information, a bad guy gets it, steals their identity, can ruin their credit for years to come. 
You mentioned uh, different networks for the devices that your kids are on. Uh, most people go, hey, I, I have one Wi-Fi router, one Wi-Fi network. I mean, they, they don't even know how to create two different networks in their house in order to be effective there. Well, I think that's one of the things that this is an adult moment for a lot of people is find out, talk to places like Geek Squad or talk to whoever is involved with setting up your technology or talk to a friend that understands technology. But uh, if you don't have, you know, in the old days when I was growing up, there were the parents' phone number and it was listed in the phone book. And then there was the kids line. Well, you have to think of this new world as doing the same thing as we did years and years and years ago. Thanks so much. Good advice, Adam Levin, founder of Cyber Scout, author of the book Swiped. That's Technology Thursday. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday. Still to come, how a new flood of cash will impact the stock market. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. New cash is flooding into U.S. stock funds. Here to discuss what it means for the financial markets, Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com. Mark, we we have had a lot of new money. Uh, Let's begin by asking, what does that do to stock prices when you have a bunch of people throwing money into the markets? Well, it it undeniably will have a short-term positive effect. It just pushes prices up. But the effect, at least according to historical research, is remarkably temporary and is then almost completely reversed over the following four months. And by 10 months later, according to the research that I've looked at, it's completely reversed. So unless you happen to know in advance that the the money is coming in, actually, by the time you read about it, it's going to be too late, and it'll actually move just the opposite direction that you think. Yeah, and when it comes then to the values for the investors who are not dealing with sort of the excess cash that they're kind of throwing into the markets, it just makes stocks more expensive for them. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of those stories where, I mean, it's so hard to say something interesting because I've said so many times, and a million other people have as well, that you know that this isn't going to end, uh, end, end well. This kind of speculation inevitably is going to lead to a lot of disappointment. But it's one of those things where we just don't know when. So even though we don't know what's going to happen today, tomorrow, next week, next month, we know eventually how this story ends, and it's not going to be a very happy ending. Yeah, so what should investors do given some of these distortions? Well, you know, one thing you can actually try to take advantage of is the volatility. We've seen extraordinary volatility in the market. I can't, I've lost track, actually, the number of the days so far this year in which the Dow is up and the NASDAQ is down is something we're seeing right now, in fact, or just the opposite with the NASDAQ up and the Dow down. That is a very rare. Uh, event to happen just any one day. It's a relatively infrequent, but to have so many of them, in fact, you have to go back to the top of the internet bubble to find another time where you had so many cross currents in the market. And so uh, one way either is to start to answer your question about what investors would do. One thing is to perhaps lighten up, but another is to put in uh, buy and sell limits on your stocks that are well above or well below the market. If you want to buy, put in a price order well below the market. Who knows? That volatility might allow you to get filled in some stocks at lower prices and the same token on the sell side. That is good advice. Yeah, a lot of people don't think about it. They sort of wait for it to come down or to go up. Thank you so much. That's Mark Holbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, the replay podcast will be available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.